Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 to 6. But I'll read only one or two verses from that. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Have you ever come across situations where you made some godly suggestions to somebody in your circle? Maybe family members, children, spouse, or friends, or people you minister to. Some of you are already, I know you are ministering to some people. But your godly suggestions were resisted, opposed, and even when you made uh, suggestions regarding how to make a spiritual improvement, progress, spiritual growth, people did not really take it seriously. For years and years and years you have been doing that. Have you come across cases where you met with serious resistance from the people whom you thought would your suggestions, your prayers, your counseling would have an impact on them, but they resisted it throughout. Have you come across in your life as a Christian believer, as a, as a Christ follower, instances where you were criticized, reproached, sometimes even physically attacked for making good suggestions, good spiritual suggestions? Have you come across situations where you longed for, you prayed, you waited for people to change? It didn't happen. If it didn't happen, that simply means you are dealing with a stronghold. That's a simple definition. You're dealing with a stronghold. I'm just going to focus on that particular word in this passage, which I already read, and you might have read it already because I had announced it in the group already. The word stronghold comes only here as a metaphor in the entire New Testament, nowhere else. Paul or any others decided to use this word. It literally means a fortress, a stronghold is a military fortress. You might have come across many such. In uh, this state itself, as far as I know, I am a favorite uh, uh, visitor. I mean, I, a, a spot is to visit Shivaji's fortresses. There are 16 of them. In the seminary where I worked, where I was in charge of the IT services networks, all the access points in the campus, Wi-Fi wi access points are named after the different fortresses of uh, Shivaji in Maharashtra. That tradition continues, though I am left that place long back. A fortress is a secure place, a place of defense. All fortresses of Shivaji in this uh, state are on hills, except one, which is a naval fortress, which is far south, the Sindhudurg fort, which is into the sea. Otherwise, everything is on the hills. 
is secured so that within that fortress, within the walls, they are safe. Moreover, from there, they can attack the enemy as they approach. That is what a fortress is. Now, I should make a clarification here when I talk about the spiritual fortress. In uh, popular preaching, uh, this word is being misused. You know, we say there's a spiritual a stronghold, that's a spiritual stronghold and all that. This word is misused. It's not take, without taking the context in, in serious. See, for example, we say that a place where there is an idol is a spiritual fortress. We should not go near it or prasad or some other offerings or some other way of dressing, some places, some field of influence and all that. But Bible doesn't talk about that sort of thing. We can talk about it later. But fortress or a stronghold in Bible, the Bible here, I said this only occurrence, is a mindset. It is not a place. It's a mindset. What is a mindset? Or what is a particular attitude? Way of thinking. It's a way of thinking. It's a fixed way of thinking. This is the way. This is what I believe. This is the way I believe. This is right for me. And it's unchangeable, impenetrable. You can't penetrate that way of thinking. It's a mindset. That is why in this passage, you read that passage again. He's talking about a mindset, a way of thinking, a knowledge which rises against the knowledge of God. It has to do with disobedience, isn't it? It is not just weapons and other things. It's a disobedience. So it's a basically a mindset, a fixed mindset. It's a set of beliefs which I think is right and I hold on to it. Even when I know it is wrong. Some people have that sort of adamant, obstinate behavior where they think this is how it is. Whether you say that or not, I don't change. I don't care. This is what it is. Some, some, sometimes we come into such sort of fixed notions, mindsets. And these mindsets are what we call strongholds. Two examples I can give from the Bible. In the Gospel of John, Chapter 1, chapter 5, Gospel according to John, chapter 5. We read about a man who was paralyzed for 38 years. And uh, he was invalid and he was there in, the, in, the, in, a, in a pool called, near a pool called Bethesda uh, in Jerusalem for almost 38 years. Whether he was sick for 38 years, or he was at the pool for 38 years waiting for the healing, we are not sure. Let us say he was sick for 38 years. Now, when Jesus came to that pool, by the poolside, that portico, he asked this man, he saw this man who had been there, laying there for 38 years on a mattress, and he asked, Jesus asked him, you want to be healed? Now, this man's answer was very rather funny answer he gave. He said, Lord, he didn't say yes or no, but he said, Lord, I don't have anyone to help me into the pool before somebody else enters it. Because the first person to enter will be healed. But he cannot enter it because there is no one to take him. Before he crawls into it, you know, there's somebody has already ended. Somebody has gone the finish line. What was the problem? 
the healer is by his side jesus is not asking can i help you to get to the food jesus is not asking that jesus is simply asking you want to get healed you simply need to say yes but his mindset is so petrified that means he is so fixed in such a way that he cannot think of any other means of healing other than the food that's what the mindset is very difficult to break it down to pull it down similarly gospel of matthew in chapter 13 talks about jesus's visit to his own village nazareth when jesus started his public ministry he moved from nazareth his own village to capernaum and that's where he did his ministry or based his ministry and when he went back to nazareth the people of nazareth they knew him as the carpenter's son they are he was among them they might have the youth might have played uh, games with him they might have eaten together so they are so familiar with him but jesus came as a healer and miracle worker and a man of authority but the people could not accept him so they did not trust him but jesus could not do any miracles there not because he did not have the power because no sick were brought to him no demon possessed came to him for healing that is why jesus could not do much miracles because people thought people could not see in jesus they only saw a carpenter's son mary's son one among them who was a few years ago maybe 3 years ago was one of them was part of the village now he was come back so he could not do so when jesus said this famous words no prophet is accepted in his own town he went away this is what we call a strong hold a mindset so fixed it's so impenetrable but the problem is it stands against the knowledge of god and obedience to christ that is the problem all of us are mindsets but this is the mindset this mindset the fixed attitude is something that stands against with withstands what is it what is this mindset against it is trying to make sure that god is kept away from it that is the problem the problem with this stronghold which mindset is that christ is left away we don't want to obey christ the obedience of christ stands against the obedience of christ that is what has to be pulled down that is the spiritual stronghold how mindsets are formed in this spiritual strongholds which stands against obedience to god or knowledge of god there are many many possible reasons let me just cite maybe four that i can think of one unconfessed sins you know there is sin in your life but you are not in the confess people erect strongholds such mindsets because when they have sin in their life when they realize they have sin in their life what they should have gone is to go to go to god and confess it instead of confessing they self justify they justify it's okay they find reasons to justify their sins instead of confessing and seeking forgiveness for their sins have you come across people 
constantly living in justifying themselves instead of saying i did something wrong instead of finding reasons to justify their sins that is walls that we build around us so that we don't have to come to god or obey christ sometimes the second reason could be is unforgiveness some people live unforgiven life they cannot forgive themselves so what happens is that they live in constant self pity condemning themselves you know finding fault with themselves they have unforgiven sins they didn't confess their sins so so i'm sorry okay. unforgiveness something has gone wrong i should not have done that but i did it and you can't forgive yourself for what you did and then what happens you go into the pit abysmal pit bottomless pit of self pity your self esteem is completely destroyed and you live as a poor me everywhere poor me self pity that's another fortress or part of that fortress some people cannot forgive others they can't when people have done mist- uh, wrong to them the word of god says forgive live free but we they grind their teeth and they they tighten their fist and live in anger and frustration waiting for a moment for revenge that's a fortress that's a mindset and as the longer you hold these negative feelings the stronger the walls of your stronghold gets the longer we live in unforgiveness of ourselves and others the stronger the taller and the tougher the walls become the third reason could be lies lies about ourselves and lies about others sometimes people lie about themselves they believe lies about themselves they try to imagine more than what they are leading to pride they think they are more than what they are it's a lie even we are lying to ourselves and that's pride sometimes they think they are much pitier than what they really are that leads to again self pity and contempt self contempt some people believe lies about others we are not willing to accept what others are the way they are what they are and that leads to hatred that's another part of our fortress and then the fourth reason fourth you can add on to this are unhealthy habits somebody taught me to do this drink for example and i have been drinking i know it is unhealthy but i don't want to get out of it i just don't want to get out of it why maybe there may be reasons to justified or it could be chain smoking it could be any bad habits that we has become part of our life simply it's habits it's only nothing but habits we be used to it and that then we want to justify that 
We want to justify that. That's a mindset, impenetrable mindset. And people find themselves so secure within the walls that they have built around them. And keep God, divine counsel out of their lives, obedience to Christ out of their life. And they feel so secure from which they can shoot at any enemy that comes. They criticize, they make fun of the people, they ignore them, they hurt them, they, they make laugh at them in within this secure fortress, strongholds. That's why I started with this question. Have you ever been in situations where your godly loving advice and concern were disregarded and they had a barrage of questions at you, criticisms at you, counter arguments to defend because we are dealing with a strong force, spiritual strong force. Having said what is a spiritual strong force, Let's come to this point now, to the passage. What is the stronghold that the writer, the Paul, is trying to hold on? Wow. Very difficult stronghold. Built over many years, which he tried to pull down in many ways, but still standing. Come with me to a understand Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth before we try to understand this epistle, the second Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians. Corinth was a cosmopolitan city. It was a place where ancient Asia and Europe met. And that's a place of culture, high culture industry, especially business. That's where the people met together. And even now, when you go to Turkey, those who are, are familiar with Turkey, you know, they say even in the, in the features or physical features of the people uh, on the Western side where Corinth was, it was very different from that people in the East. They are more Asian, but on this side, they are more European. You know, because of closeness to Europe. It's a place where they thought everything is lawful. Everything is acceptable. There were no norms, no looks. They said everything is. We can see that uh, in two passages, in First Corinthians, Paul talks about that. You know, they have this, this slogan in, in Corinth. All things are lawful. You can drink, you can go to this, you can bribe, you can go to court, you can um, sex, you have sexual incest and all that are lawful. That's what they thought. Nowadays, there are many, many cities, even in our country and mostly in the Western countries where everything is allowed. One day, one of our former, when, when I was talking to a person, and uh, she said, this is allowed in my country. I said, that's maybe allowed in your country and in your culture, but it is not allowed in the light of the word of God. Because she thought that since her country, her culture, her people allows all these sort of things, it's not lawful. But Paul says lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
in that same message. And he repeats the same thing in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 as well. This is a culture where they thought, you can do anything, whatever you want. When I ask people here, why are you driving on the wrong side of the road? You know, many times people tell me, everybody is doing that. I say, I told one person, I have put my signal, my light on the left, right side, and I'm turning right. Why don't pay attention to my, I mean, any, he said, I don't know whether you will turn left or right, but what, what does my light say? My light is on the right, light is blinking. Because they don't care. Everything is lawful. That is Pune. And they lived in a situation where everything was lawful. But even after the conversion and they joined the church, the fellowship, they thought everything is lawful. That was Corinth. That is one of the problems in the church in Corinth. There was tremendous disunity. I had preached from this area. Now people are divided into groups. They met together like this. They broke bread. But they said, I belong to Cephas. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to... They said, we are a different, different parties. Maybe just 32 people. There were court cases. When they had disagreements, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when they had disagreements, they took each other to court, not just there in the church. They, they challenged each other in the court. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 was 1. And mostly, the most important thing, uh, the, the grave thing was, there was incest in chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. A man was living with his stepmother. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. He is living with his stepmother, whether married or not, whichever way it is, a person, a woman who is in the position of his mother, he is living with that. And he is a member of the church. That's a problem. This is not even practiced among non-members, the pagans outside. This is Corinth. This is Corinth. There was disorderly worship. We, I'm not going into that all now. When they worship, somebody speaks in tongues, another person speaks in tongues, Another prophecies, and there is absolutely no order in the church in Corinth. That's why Paul said, if one speaks in tongues in public, another person should interpret. If there is no interpreter, he should not speak in, the, in tongues. There should be prophecy. There should be discernment. And he said, let everything be done in order and in dignity, in decency. There was no, everybody, they, they came together and they sang together. There was no worship, there was no order. And even in the Lord's table, they grabbed their portion, each other. I mean, whatever one, you took your portion, I took your portion. That was what was happening in Corinth. Not a quarrel. So that is why I said women should not speak in the assembly. Because women are making a lot of noise. Maybe talking to each other. He said, if women has a problem, question, Ask your wife at home, sorry, husband at home. It doesn't mean that women should not speak. When some people interpret that way, women should not be creating, making noise in the church. That's what the, all that Paul said. No, that was what was damning. And Paul did try to settle this matter. Martin Luther wrote in sometimes in 16th century. 
He said, these are mad saints. They are saints by their calling, but that seems to be they've gone out of mind. Paul made at least three visits to settle these matters there. After evangelizing them, after having a church there, he went and he heard people were coming and saying, this is what is going on in Corinth. There is no decorum, there is no decency, people are living in incest, there is division, and there is court cases, and communion is a very disorderly manner, worship is even a commotion, it's a cacophony, and all that sort of thing. So Paul visited the church at least three more, two more times. Three visits he made. He sent his disciples, his followers, like his companions, deputies. Timothy went, Titus also went and visited Yes. He just settled the matters. He wrote letters, at least four, but we only have two. The other four, other two, we don't know. He might have written five, some people say. We don't know that. He wrote letters. One letter, he said, it's a severe letter. It was in anger, he wrote. Because these people were living inside strongholds of disobedience, licentious practices, you know, living according to their culture, but not submitted to the knowledge of God, but they were part of the church. They were in the church. Now, this letter that we read is basically following up the previous letter. Because the matters did not settle. You know, in the first letter he wrote on reports, questions that they asked, and questions that a person reported to him. He answered them all. Things didn't settle, but something went wrong there. Maybe, it may be the person who was living with his stepmother might have created more problem. It may be. Because they tried to take action against him. Probably the church was meeting in his own home. So they could not actually take an action again. These are all simply theories. But he might have created more trouble for saying nonsense, meant things, bad things about Paul and all that. But positively, coming back to the passage that is read to us, a lot of improvement has happened. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the passage just above, Paul is talking about peace, grace, Submission and all that. Let me just read that. Second Corinthians 9, 13 to 55. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So some people have accepted positive change. Some strongholds are pulled down. Some people said, oh, really sorry. We are, I'm sorry. I am very, very sorry. I did that. I said that. I am wrong. I was not uh, doing properly, behaving properly in the church. I was not properly, my relationship with other members of the church and uh, was not right. Some people have confessed. Generosity of your contribution, some people have started giving. Another important area. Why? They, because surpassing grace of, of God upon him. So these people who obeyed the, the counsel of God have received a lot of grace and thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Very positive. But in the next chapter, things change. Paul is talking about in the chapter that we read now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 to 6, Paul is talking about weapons. 
Paul is talking about warfare. He's talking about punishment. What does that mean? That means there are still some strongholds standing. There are some people who are still disobedient. There are some people who are still rebellious. Now, in this passage, he talks about how to deal with such mindsets. That's what the issue is. Now, a stronghold is a mindset which keeps the knowledge of God, obedience to Christ out of their life. You can be a stronghold. I could also be a stronghold. If I don't surrender my will, my life, my values, whatever I hold dear, if I don't hold them, submit them to obedience to Christ, I am a stronghold too. But we may be constantly facing strongholds in our life who make us grieve, we will make humiliate us for what? For loving them. To, because we have that earnest desire to take them with us to eternity. Just that godly desires that we have for them, we may be ridiculed, sidelined and all that. Sometimes I get, if I had a reason why God made me, this is God spoke to me, to minister to me. Sometimes I get videos, YouTube videos, suggestions of other pastors, so that I will behave the way they want me to behave. Contradicting the call of God in my life. It's a way of trying to humiliate you, put you down, but you have to have energy. It's a lot of spiritual prowess, power to rise above that. Because strongholds from different, different strongholds, people are shooting at you. Now, I'm not talking about myself alone. I'm talking about all of us. These mindsets with wrong mindsets, with disobedience to Christ, and have no knowledge of Christ, for their own selfish reasons, they may shoot. We may be at their crosshairs, but we need strength of God. We need to pull them down. But how? First, the nature of pulling down, what is that? It is not physical. It's a spiritual. We need to realize that we have to, this is a spiritual warfare. A warfare that has, to be, that has to be bought by the power of the spirit, not our abilities. Second Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, now when the opponents in Corinth, the church in Corinth, they look at Paul, he is a human being, flesh and blood, but also weak in his body. He maybe have a lot of ailments. He was whipped many times, you know, probably wrongly. He had fought with the animals in the, in the uh, gladiator. So probably there are a lot of board marks on his body. And probably his eyes, one eye was bulging. Probably he had a bomb. We don't know what were the ailments, but he was not a really handsome man. And not a strong person. Suffered a lot. Been in jail for a long, long time. So he is weak in his flesh. He can't very hardly, he can uh, uh, bring him 
himself up to stand on his own feet, maybe very weak. But he says, but look at that verse, verse 10 3. We walk in the flesh. We are not waging a war according to the flesh. Simply put, it means what determines the outcome of this battery, this mission, this campaign to pull down the strongholds, strong mindsets. Don't think that, oh, Paul is weak in his body, his hands are shivering with Alzheimer's, he can hardly speak. Because of his physical weakness, don't think that you can win it. I am so determined. With my weak presence, my weak body, because it is not my flesh, my physical strength that determines the success, victory. Because I'm not fighting in the flesh. I'm not fighting. It's a spiritual war. That's the first thing we need to know. So don't ever be intimidated. When we have to face such strongholds, mindsets, never be intimidated that you are weak, physically weak. Because we have this immense power of God in jars of clay. Isn't it? The jar is of clay, but the treasure that the jar. So physical weakness, never mind. And our goal is also, we have to be clear about what we are doing. The goal is not effect, a cognitive shift. What I mean by that is to replace their wrong knowledge with the right knowledge. So we sit and reason them, reason with them and say, see, look at that argument, look at this argument, look at this thing, that is a, uh, that is a fallacy, this is wrong, this is a wrong conclusion, this is a wrong premise. We are not trying to make a cognitive shift in their thing. We are not trying to replace their knowledge, false knowledge with the right knowledge. That is what happens at the end, but that is not what we are attempting to which is not an evolution. You know, as the days go by, he'll be all right. It's true. A person, it can be partly true, I'll tell you what, taking the case of alcoholism. A person is, is a drunk. He drinks, drinks, drinks. He lost all his property. He lost everything in his world. Now he has no money. Then because he has no money to buy a drink, he stops drinking. That is not what we are trying to do. It's not slowly evolving. Or a chain smoker addicted to smoking or any substance, when he cannot buy it more or when he's behind the bars for doing that, when that, he had no access, he stops it. That is not what's happening. That is not the way to handle it. It's not a cognitive shift. It is not a slow change. It's a radical change. And we should not also think that, see, we are confronting them with God's truth. Now, how we do actually engage in it? Use the weapons of God. Weak we are. But we are approaching these strongholds with confidence disproportionate to our physical strength. It's not our education that matters. Education doesn't matter. Many times when people pull down the strongholds, their social status did not matter. 
but they pull down strongholds which has a higher social status. I'll give you a story at the end. If I forget it, you tell it remind me. We have divine weapons. Weaponry, the ammunition is very different. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's what we are using in pulling down these strongholds. It is, they all have arguments. We have arguments, they can argue. But the thing is, we are not fighting with ordinary things. We are fitted with the arguments or the power of God. Another passage I asked you to read yesterday was go back to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, which talks about the spiritual warfare. Same thought, but it is much more detailed. It talks about put the full armor of God. What are the armors? Some of them are in this prayer, faith, the word of God, truth, and righteousness. We have to be equipped with these arguments, sorry, these arms, weapons, when we try to pull down. It is not debate, it is not reasoning. All this have its own role, but we have to approach every stronghold with prayer. Pray and pray and pray over the strongholds, for the strongholds, for God to pull them down. My friend is building a house and um, they bought a land and they dug a well and they found when they, when they reached a certain land, uh, they found water, but they also hit rock. They can't dig further. But they have to deepen the well in order to get water, sufficient water for the house. So ask, what are you doing? So he said, uh, so there are lots of houses nearby. So they, I said, I thought old ways. Uh, when I was small, I've seen that. Uh, are you using dynamite to explode this whole thing? He said, we are not allowed to do that because there are houses there, there are other houses will tumble now. So he said, there's a new technology now. I said, what is that? So they said, they use chemicals to soften the rock and they drill it. That's what the new technology is. This new to me. I said, okay, fine. But over the time, after treating that or the rocks will absorb it and the rocks start crumbling. So without a shock or explosion, they can dig. That's what they're doing. You know, many times we try to use dynamite to bring the strongholds down, to penetrate the strongholds. But in the process, a lot of people are killed. A lot of damage is done. Sometimes both sides suffer damage. But when we give it to God in prayer, when we approach it in faith, when we use the word of God, and when we do our battle in truth, never ever lie. That's one of my deepest concerns these days. People who lie, tell lies, tell others lies, and live lies. Very dangerous. 
it's like that sort of a nature is trying dynamite all around your body and walking with a matchstick or something that can easily ignite very dangerous so these people are living in lie you cannot counter a lie with another lie you have to counter the lie with truth see some people have to say that no when i was your age i was never like that don't say that only if unless it is true say when i was your age i was just like you but a few years later i met christ and he changed my life that is the truth isn't it the first part is wrong why are we trying to change people's life countering lie with another lie no be frank truthful then only truth can only set people free lies will never truth speak the word not philosophy not sociology not psychology none of these have, have full effect on a people speak the word of god this is what the word says and i'm sure people will tremble at the word but they will only evaluate your science your reasoning they, that is always subject to criticism and analysis and evaluation but word of god has its power we have to fight these battles with word and righteousness live a righteous life walk righteousness simply means walk the talk they should not be observing and say this man said this and he is behaving contrary to what he said but still people may criticize you they may misunderstand you they may misrepresent you but that is part of their warfare they are trying to discredit you put you down you know rapshake in the 8th century when they were trying to invade jerusalem he did that go to second kings or isaiah and you will read about that they are trying to discredit people that will happens they will criticize you but if it is not true you don't have to worry about it. just remember that i know you you have done that they will try to accuse you but don't be discredited stand in truth stand in righteousness that's how we pull down the strongholds and finally i should also just say this it we are not simply pulling down the ministry is also building up you know many when the enemy comes they destroy and go but that is not what spiritual warfare is spiritual warfare is pulling down the strongholds that stand against the knowledge of god and the obedience to christ but it is also at the same time building new walls building new lives i would say you see see this is common now the world practices it you know that when people in the jail in prisons they are not simply punished they are kept but they also have opportunity to build their lives the man who was hanged a few years ago for the 1991 bombings i forgot his name has finally um, hanged for that bombing bombay by bombings material bombings i forgot that guy's name but he waited there was in prison for 20 plus years his daughter was 21 years when he was hanged but he was in prison uh, just after 
his uh, wife was carrying before that girl was born. But in jail, they tried to construct his life. He even got a MBA through correspondence in jail. Maybe he might have become a better person. He might have remorse and he might have sought forgiveness. He might have reconciled and all that, but the court decided to hang him. I'm not going to do that debate now. What I'm saying is, even in the world, they try to construct the lies of Jesus. I just saw a video, probably I'll forward it to you later. A man who was honored by Mr. Ambani, Anil Ambani and his wife in a public function, which was presided or uh, anchored by Sardesai, the great TV journalist. This man was a bad guy, disobeyed his parents, got into gangs and crimes, was jailed, but in the, the jail he met the Lord. And he wanted to become a Mother Teresa in Karnataka, I think somewhere in Bangalore or Andhra, I don't know. But he, pardon? Otto Raja. And uh, look for Otto Raja videos, I don't know how to send it. But he is helping people because in jail, someone tried to build his life. And he came out of the jail and he is building the society. He's giving back to society, which he grabbed from the society. That's what Paul says here. When you pull down strong poles, we also make sure we build it up in a new way. The eighth verse in the same chapter. For even if I boast a little too much over authority, I'm talking about authority, my spiritual authority, and which the Lord gave for building you up. My authority is not just pulling you down, destroying your confidence, damaging you, but I am also given the authority to build up, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you. I will not be ashamed. He says, I have a ministry. When I pull this down, I'm also building you up. This is very much in line with the call of Jeremiah. When God called Jeremiah more than eight centuries before Paul, maybe seven centuries before Paul, a young man who may be in his 20s, very young man, God gave him a mission. You know what was that? Jeremiah, book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 10. When Jeremiah, God called him and said, do not marry because there is no time for enjoying a marriage. Marry because I'm going to destroy the city and this nation. But you are, before they are, this is destroyed, I want you to tell them my decision. Those who want to repent, let them repent and save their lives. See, so God said in verse 10, Jeremiah chapter 110, See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow. That's the call is, but the last place to build and to plant. Whatever is destroyed, whatever is planned, something new has to be built, take its place. Something new should take its place. Reconstructing 
lies. We pull down the strongholds that stand against God. Because they stand against the Almighty God, we also will have to suffer some ridicule, some assault. Because they are, they are actually against God. And who are we? In front of those who are opposing God. We have to have a new perspective on taking criticisms, I mean, abuse, anger, attacks, people trying to destroy our reputation. We need to have a new perspective. That new perspective is that if this is against God, they can do this against God. I'm actually only taking the trickle, the spray. You know, that's all that is happening. So we can process. In that way, we can process rejection, we can process reproach, we can process attack, we can process criticism for speaking truth and seeking their welfare. Praise be to God. But the point is, put up a fight. Not by physical means, but in prayer. Not by our reasoning, but by righteous lives lived in the presence of God. Let me close here. And I told you, promise you to tell you a story. The Holy Spirit in charge of this, whatever happens here in, in the preaching. To be very frank, I forgot the story that I, am, I promised to tell you. Because the Spirit of God probably is saying, you don't tell that. That may be something else. But the Lord has given me another story to tell. I think that is the most appropriate. This is a story of a man. I read recently. A person I didn't know, but I knew this family. Maybe indirectly. This man died maybe a few months back in Canada. But he was a pastor's son, a pioneering pastor's son. His father pioneered churches, established a huge church denomination, maybe thousands of congregations in the state of Andhra Pradesh. Was a man who impacted maybe about 100 years ago, 90 years ago. But one of his sons went astray. And all his life lived as an ungodly person, not as a Christian, though he was a born-again baptized Christian. Something happened in his life, something wrong with the church members, something like that. He lived in a fortress of denial, disobedience, and he always secretly, even secretly, he went to the temples in Canada, Hindu temples in Canada. I hope this story is translated into plain English somewhere. This was published. And his wife, he got, he married a woman who was deeply committed to Christ. But she didn't know that this pastor's son is living a secret life of an unbeliever. He was living, that was hidden from his family and everything, but he was not. In believing, he denied God, he then read Bible, you know, prayed, but secretly he used to go to temples. He was a secret Hindu, 
then a public Christian. But she prayed and prayed and prayed for him. More than 30 years of their married life. But no, she, he even used to make fun of her going to church and being a believer and uh, all that. He used to make fun. Pastor's son, backslidden son. Funny. Ten years ago, he had cancer. The people prayed for him. And the good Lord healed him. He lived again another ten years. After cancer. He was quite old also. So he didn't die young. But during that time, he came back to Christ. More than 30. 30 years of married life, he was an unbeliever. Making fun of his wife. Making fun of the believers. Never went to church, never prayed, never read the Bible. Which he used to do once. When he was helping his father in uh, Vijayawada. Planting churches among them. Rejected God. But 10 years before his end, he came to the Lord. But he came more powerfully. Very powerfully. He went around and evangelized. He went around and witnessed. Christ and brought many to Christ during that 10 years of his life, the lease of life that he got from the Lord after healing cancer. And a few months back, he died. I think it's less than a year he died. And at his funeral, there was great rejoicing. And far and out that funeral crowd that attended his funeral was a man of his same age, his age, same age. And he was weeping bitterly. You know why? This is the guy he, who took him to temples on a regular basis because he's not a believer anymore. He was a secret Hindu. This is the man who used to take him around in various temples and worship various deities and denying the living God of his fathers, father, his parents. This man was weeping at that corner, standing aloof from the rest of the world. The reason for him weeping was not anything, because he was one for Christ by the man who died now. And he is the first person that this man brought to the Lord after he came back to the Lord. Could you believe that story? This is what happens to strongholds. Mindsets that stand against Christ and the knowledge of God. They are not there to stand forever. They are there, but they cannot stand there forever if they are surrounded, sieged by men and women like you and me who are equipped with the armor of God. Why these strongholds are still standing? Because there are not enough soldiers of Christ to fight the spiritual battle in prayer, in faith, with the gospel, with the word, with, with, the, with, the, with the shoes of uh, sandals of righteousness, the sword of the spirit. That's why strongholds still prevail. But in God's plan, they are not 
supposed to be there. We have not failed in the battle, but we have only failed in our duties. Shall we commit ourselves to God?